Hello, welcome to the first episode of the Scouted Football Podcast. I am your host, Joe Donoghue, and today I'm joined uh, by Scouted Football's co-founder, Stephen Ganavis, and longtime Scouted contributor, Justin Sosa. Guys, football is back. How are we feeling? Bloody brilliant, mate. It's, it's a pleasure. Pleasure to be back. Very excited. I don't just have to watch MLS anymore. <laughs> could be worse. It could be the A-League. Yeah, it's, it's great to... To have the both of you on here uh, for the inaugural episode of the Scouted Football Podcast. Uh, we are going to try and get that out every one or two weeks. Uh, we're going to try and get guests. We're going to try and get uh, a lot of content, a lot of insight, a lot of analysis uh, coming your way. Essentially, just under 23 football, under 23 players, creating a voice behind the tweets and uh, the Instagram posts and the Facebook posts, essentially, which is what we've wanted to do for a while. And uh, I'm glad that we're finally doing it. Yeah, a little something extra to go with the book, to go with the Twitter. Uh, it's always nice to put a voice to a to a name and to a, to an account. Yeah, of course. And Steve, as you mentioned there, uh, the book, uh, which is obviously in the third volume now of the Scouted Football Handbook 2019. Um, I mean, just to kick us off, do you want to talk more about that with the volume three being released? Yeah, so been working long and hard the last two to three months to get this this one out um really happy with how it's gone and hopefully the people that are going to be receiving them early next week will be happy as well or early to mid next week um yeah so we've had some great con- contributors the, the regulars plus a, plus a few new ones we've uh especially on the goalkeeper front we've got a, a goalkeeper specialist roberto grosso coming in and do a, a, a profile on, on Drogovsky from fiorentina so that will be a re- that's a really good profile, um, and also we've come in this this time with a special under twenty World Cup team of the tournament kind of special uh, section. That's that's really nice as well, covering that that tournament as a a little bit of extra from from the tweets that we were doing, um, just fleshing out a few of our uh, favorite players or some of the best players from the tournament out a little bit more. Yeah, I mean the under twenty World Cup uh, this summer, obviously won by Ukraine uh, against South Korea in the final. That was a tournament that the three of us followed quite closely uh, and threw up quite a few, uh, quite a few really interesting players that we thought, well, we want to do sort of a special feature into into volume three, and and I think that's gone really well. It looks really nice. The illustrations um, by Carl have been fantastic on that, um, and you know the work that he does is brilliant. The same with uh, the cover art that uh, Fede Manas does for us that is that's also excellent um but yeah we're, we're really excited to to get that out there out in the open and yeah looking forward to to see how it's received anyway we're going to kick off uh, our first podcast with uh, a theme of course every good podcast has a good theme uh, and our opening theme is uh, going to be under 23 players in uh, europe's top flight divisions uh, who we think are set to have a breakout season that will be in leagues that are outside of the big five. So the big five being the Premier League, La Liga, Serie A, Bundesliga and Liga. But just to get us kicked off, just to begin with, we, uh, we're we recording this the morning after uh, the UEFA Super Cup final. And um, talking of breakout seasons at the top level, Mason Mount, I think we were just talking uh, before we started recording, Mason Mount's performance against Manchester United I was very impressed by and last night he put in another stellar substitute performance yeah I mean I think against Manchester United you saw a lot of him knowing what he wanted to do but not so much of him pulling it off and against Liverpool 
there was a little bit more of him coming off the bench and succeeding in what he intended on doing. Um, and I think even Frank Lampard said after he came on, Chelsea was a whole different team and they had a whole different dimension to how they were attacking Liverpool. Yeah, they definitely looked as though they they were a more cohesive uh, and attacking side against Manchester United when I felt that Mason Mount was was on the ball. Um, he, I mean, he, he tested David De Gea twice uh, in that game, which were probably two of Chelsea's better opportunities if, if you're thinking about shots on target. Um, obviously, there's that chance from Tammy Abraham, which hits the post. And as we were saying, would it co- would completely change the complexion of the game if that goes in. But I, I'm looking forward to seeing how Chelsea approach this season uh, under Frank Lampard because I was fairly underwhelmed by him at, at Derby. But with the the step up in the level of players that he's got at his disposal, uh, so you know Mason Mount, obviously he had at Derby, but Tammy Abraham, Ruben Loftus Cheek, and they're just the under twenty threes. Um, I think you know th- there could be something quite exciting about how they go with their attacking players. Well, it's just interesting. I think a lot of people have wanted to see these players get an opportunity over the last year or two, and after the Manchester United game, especially already seeing them being written off as as not good enough or not ready enough. So I think everyone needs to take a little bit of a step back and assess exactly what Chelsea are going to be this season, which is they haven't been able to reinforce it. They're not going to be as good as previous years. Um, not that they were fantastic last year, but it's it's not going to be a year where they're going to be challenging. So why not give the players some opportunity? You've been waiting for it, for waiting for managers to do it for years and now... Yeah, now they're coming in, and you just got to got to give them a go. Especially Mount was, I thought was, yep, yeah, quite handy against United. Got stuck in. Looks like he'll be used to really press up the field and, and kind of try and win the ball back up high. Um, and he's so damaging in, in when he gets into those areas when he gets forward uh, at, at Vitesse and at English under nineteen level, especially in, in years gone by, he scored a lot of goals, uh, winning the ball back in those areas and, and transitioning quickly into, into goal scoring positions. So. I think uh, there's plenty more to see. Yeah, it was as you say there, Steve. It was his pressing that I was quite, I was quite impressed with. Uh, he was, I think, he was their most aggressive presser. You could see multiple, multiple occasions where Harry Maguire would get the ball in a deep position, and you know, within a few seconds, Mason Mount's really onto him. And yeah, of course, he's going to come off second best in a physical battle against someone like Harry Maguire, but. It's the it's the disruption that he causes by being that active and enthusiastic with his pressing that will not give a player who's a good ball player like Harry Maguire that space and time. And I think they're the sorts of things which don't get as much praise, and they add so much added value to 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 an attacking performance in such a, in a defensive sense. Yeah, and I think with Chelsea, it's kind of like a double edged sword with all their young players because uh, on one side you're getting. You're seeing all your young players get the opportunity to play, but at the same time, you have to have the patience for them to grow into their roles. Because obviously, Tammy Abraham was an animal with Aston Villa, putting 20-plus goals uh, with them. And I don't think it's reasonable to expect that from him in his first season as Chelsea's number one, if he is going to be their number one up top. And same thing with players like Mason Mount and with Kurt Zuma coming back and when Reese James comes back from injury. There's a lot of individual quality within them, but it's going to take a lot of time for them to just become a cohesive unit. And I think that's going to be the hardest part of their transition, especially when they're dealing with fans and when they're dealing with themselves as a team. I'll I'll just add in that whenever Abraham's been in 
an attack that functions semi-decently. He's pretty much scored 20 goals at an okay Bristol. He was on fire. Then he went to Swansea and kind of struggled because they were terrible. Straight to Aston Villa and 20 goals. And I know it's the championship, but I don't see why it shouldn't succeed at, at this level. Yeah, if you're turning in 20 plus goals in two separate seasons, in two separate teams with two completely different systems at the age of like 19 and 21, um, surely if you're playing in a, a functioning attack, unlike, you know, Swansea's was um, when, he, when he was on loan at Swansea, I think you, there's plenty of, of proof there to say that he can definitely make it at least 10 goals, at least 10 plus goals in, in a good a Chelsea side where you've got that security uh, in behind of like Jorginho and Kante and the creativity and the combined goal threat of like Pedro and, and Pulisic as well to support. I, I, I back Abraham to, to do well, I think, yeah. Anyway, moving on, obviously the theme that we're going with in, in this opening episode is breakout players in Europe's top flight outside of the top five leagues. And one player that really got my attention uh, over the summer was uh, Yanis Hadji uh, with Romania at the under-21 Euros. He has subsequently earned a move to KRC Genk from Vitorol Constanta in, um, in the Romanian league to the Belgian Pro League. He's very much a number 10 uh, and based on his early performances there, he's looking as though he's going to play in a midfield three, but as the most advanced in a sort of withdrawn 10 role, which I think is definitely sort of the best position for him to play, the best role for him to play, uh, because his his key attributes lie in his dribbling ability and bringing others into play and his sharp body movement. So I think that's that's quite a good fit for him. I mean, I don't know if you guys have kept up with any of those results, but they ha- Genk haven't started the season quite very well. There's been a lot of transfer upheaval. Justin, you'll know uh, Carlos Cuesta, the Colombian centre-back. He is also at Genk, who you liked at the Under-20 World Cup. Do you think that Cuesta has sort of a higher ceiling than Genk, or do you reckon that that's kind of his level? Um, well, it's kind of hard to tell just from like the small sample that we have from watching him. But I think with what I've seen from him is that he, personally, I think his ceiling is probably like a mid-table Bundesliga, La Liga type of team. He's a very strong player. I don't mean to fall into the stereotype of saying that he's athletic, but it, it's true. His athleticism is one of his his uh, his better values, and he's good on the ball. The question is, though, is whether he can succeed in a young gang team because obviously you have other players there like Sander Burge, who has been really good for them since breaking through in their first team, but he hasn't gotten as much recognition, I feel, and I feel he's one of the more... And he's been injured. Because I was going to say, there was a, um, I've seen a few people talking on Twitter that he hasn't gotten much recognition like within the transfer market, and I thought that was kind of odd because it feels like his name's been around for a little while now. But um, as far as Carlos Cuesta goes, I think he has one or two good seasons like any other player in the Eredivisie or in Belgium, and it's only a matter of time until teams from the upper league start looking at him. Yeah, you mentioned there Sander Berg. Yanis Haji, he's been playing in front of Berg and uh, Brian Hayden, uh, who was also at the under-21 Euros with Belgium. I think it's a good environment, but it's also a young environment. Um, they've got a lot of young players there. Uh, Benjamin Nigren, who's just been signed. Uh, Stephen Odi, Carlos Cuesta, as you say. Uh, Joachim Meiler, who was uh, also at the under-21 Euros with Denmark. It's a very good environment for a young player, but perhaps not one which will be able to see out games um, simply because they don't have the experience there. They've got a very young squad and also a new manager. Purely on a on a on an individual level, I think Haji has a higher ceiling 
perhaps higher than than that of Cuesta, perhaps higher than that of uh, Hain and, and Odi, maybe on the same level as Sanderberg, because he just he, he plays with this silk and this class and this craft that is is really nice to watch. And in Belgium, even still, he can be erratic at times, but he does really. You know, he's very silky and he has a nice move where he'll dribble in one direction and then he'll quickly turn, roll his man and then float the ball out wide. It's not just his dribbling and carrying ability to, you know, to get into positions where he can, you know, progress the ball. It's his distribution as well, which is quite nice and perhaps why he's on set pieces as well. Uh, another player um, who is in sort of a lesser but top flight uh, European league is Erling Haaland at Red Bull Salzburg uh, in the Austrian Bundesliga. Um, Steve, you've seen him uh, a couple of times. And if we're being honest, everybody uh, who you know contributes to Scouted uh, knows about Erling Haaland, about what he's, what he's about, because he is such a striking figure uh, when you watch him play. Steve, he's been, he's been great in this first full season at uh, Salzburg there's only been about four games but he scored seven goals and that's just it's a sign of things to come for for a 19 year old yeah he is an absolute beast he's built like a truck uh in Norway he's at Molde he's scoring goals for fun I think as a 17 year old um and he's just moved over to Salzburg now and uh, he started the season off very strongly he just I think there was one pre-season friendly goal where he just picked the ball up at halfway and he looks like a big boy, and he is a big boy, but he just puts his head down, and he just dribbled through everyone. And you just see this guy is a complete package. I think up front, alongside some of the the other firepower Salzburg have, they they've got uh, Seko Koita, who who started the Under Twenty World Cup. He's going to be an absolute handful going back to the Under Twenty World Cup. There is a game against Honduras that he scored seven goals. Um, he's just scary. You've seen, you mentioned there, Seku Koita. You've seen quite a lot of Mali's youth sides over the years from, you know, the Under-17 World Cup uh, and on the Under-20 World Cup. With the news that uh, Salzburg are looking to, well, not looking to, but Hoffenheim are looking to sign Diadi Samaseku, that could make a lot of space for um, Mohamed Kamara in the engine room at Salzburg. And I know he's a player that, that you really like. Yeah, so Samaseku was part of the Mali team that came... Uh, they got to a semi-final in the 2015 Under-20 World Cup. And so he's come through at Salzburg, now possibly moving on. And now uh, Camera played in the Mali team this season that, that did pretty well at the Under-20 World Cup as well. Not too dissimilar, but uh, Samaseku's probably a little bit more defensive. Camera is more of a box-to-box player that that's, uh, loves to win the ball back and drive forward and uh, he's quite good technically, likes to just bounce off other players, little wall passes, and, and uh, he's quite tidy. So that that's a fairly good like-ish for like replacement. But yeah, he should slot right in perfectly. It's quite a nice it's quite a nice environment there at Salzburg. Um, as you say, there's quite a lot of opportunity for young players. And Justin, you'll be a lot more familiar with uh, Jesse Marsh, who's obviously the manager, uh, the head coach, sorry, at uh, Red Bull Salzburg now, formerly of New York Red Bulls. I mean, what do you think we can what do you think we can expect from from him as as the season progresses yeah so i i love jesse marsh just what the the style that he brought to new york after he replaced mike pecky was like night and day um i think pecky was very defensive and sheltered whereas marsh came in and he played a 4-2-3-1 similar like pecky did but it was just this crazy high press where everybody's working off the ball 
everybody's pressing high up the field. Even the defenders are, are pushing way up. So it's going to be interesting to see how he implements that with Salzburg, because I think that's very much just the Red Bull blueprint for New York, for Leipzig, and now uh, it'll be for Salzburg. And But I think what he's trying to do there is more of a 4-2-2-2, if that makes sense, like two deep-lying center mids, two high center mids, but a little wider, and then two strikers, um, which he tried at New York too, but it wasn't as successful. But I think with Salzburg, he'll have more luck with it just because the player quality is obviously a lot better with them. I'm interested to see who he plays in the Tyler Adams type of role um, because Tyler Adams was completely instrumental to how he played at New York. And not that he's going to need a carbon copy of him, uh, but he is going to need a player who can run his socks off and who can distribute the ball. I think Hammer is that kind of player. Sorry? I think Camera could be that kind of player. Yeah. So, uh, but like, like I'm saying, like that type of player is going to be absolutely necessary to the system if he's going to play that high press and if he's going to play that like four two 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 type of system. Because without without them, uh, teams are going to be able to pick up the ball, and as soon as they pick up possession, they're going to find holes within their press, um, and the lines just get broken very easily. Um, and that was, I think, that was a problem he saw very often in New York because he didn't have a player to sub in for Adams that could fulfill his skill set. But as a young American coach and somebody who's finally going overseas to a team that competes in Europe pretty often, I'm, I'm really excited to see what he does with that team. It's just a great level for really good prospects to come in and play in Austria for Salzburg because they're playing in a really good team before they're really good players. So they're just really good prospects but they get that feel of what it's like to play in a team that's dominant and that probably prepares them really well for then going into a good team, whether they play at Leipzig or if they go to another good team, is that they know what it's like to dominate, they know what it's like to score a lot of goals, they know what it's like to play attacking football before they were ready to do it for the best team in a, in a great league. You mentioned about sort of being good players before, playing in a good team before they become great players. I, I mean, we definitely think that Erling Haaland is, has that potential. I mean, you mentioned one of his goals in preseason. For me, it was one of the first goals that he's that he assisted this season. I think it's the only one he's assisted so far. But it's a nice move where he take, takes on the ball, wins a tackle, then drives past a couple of players and then plays through um, his strike partner. And it is just, it's staggering how much ground he covers in such a, such a quick period of time, so powerfully, so purposefully. I think that Salzburg have a huge, huge prospect on their hands there. You know, in in the way that they routinely turn players for profit, he is one that will, without a doubt, be turned for a considerable profit when when the time is right. His movements, as, as I said, there's really, really good. Creates separations almost effortlessly because of how big his stride is. I mean, he's six foot three, but moves, glides across the turf, and it's graceful in a way because it's it's so good to see we just mentioned that jesse marsh jesse marsh he spoke about uh, erling harland he spoke about who he is as a person and i think that's quite good and quite refreshing to hear from a coach uh well another player i wanted to talk about was um serginio dest um who for the u.s under 20s at the under 20 world cup and for u.s youth national teams for a while now has been absolutely phenomenal at right back and this year he looks like he's going to get his fair share of time in Ajax's first team having already started their their super cup so to speak I'm not sure what it's called 
and then being on the bench for a few of their Champions League qualifiers for their first uh, league match. And then I believe he came off the bench uh, in their in their most recent Champions League qualifier. Yeah, yeah, the the Johan Cruyff Schal. That's uh, that was their Super Cup, um, which he he was quite good in, if, if I recall correctly. He in the the win over PSV there. Yeah, I think Serginio Dest is a player that I only first came across at the Under Twenty World Cup, but Justin Yude obviously um, came across him and quite another. Uh, range of of US prospects beforehand, um, but yeah, Dest really stood out to me. I thought he was quite a dynamic attacking fullback, but quite tenacious in, in his defensive work as well, which is is always nice to see that they can be effective two way fullbacks in a sense. Yeah, um, with with his skill set, I mean, there's a there's a lot of talk about him within the US fan base of wanting him to get a, a you know to get capped by the senior national team which I don't think is unreasonable, especially with the way that the national team has been going. We've been capping a lot of players who, you know, whether you believe so or not, deserve uh, a cap or just for the sake of giving a player a cap. And I think Dest is definitely one that they need to look into, especially with Greg Berhalter considering to play Tyler Adams as this right back center mid hybrid um, rather than a natural defensive midfielder because Serginho Dest provides exactly what he's looking for in that position in the sense that he can get forward. Um, he can come inside into midfield and play with other center midfielders and link play between defense and offense. He's good on the ball. And when it comes to tracking back, there's holes in his defensive game. And I think that's a lot of people's main concern about him. But when you watch him against France or against Ecuador, basically within big games, he shows up on either side of the ball. I just think when he's playing against lesser sides or maybe when the stakes aren't as high, his mindset is more, I'm going to get forward than I'm going to track back and defend, which is something I think a lot of young fullbacks kind of have to grow to learn that they are defenders first. But, you know, being 19, 20 years old, he has enough time to grow out of that mindset. And um, yeah, I think he's going to be a huge prospect for the U.S., and there's a few other American youngsters bumbling around the Eredivisie as well? Yeah. Um, so Chris Gloucester actually just left Hanover for PSV, another fullback that people are really high on, especially considering the U.S. hasn't produced a good left back since Demarcus Beasley, who's now 37 and been out of the national team for a while. Alex Mendez recently moved to Ajax from Freiburg, which I thought was interesting because he had just recently moved to Freiburg. But I guess when you get attention from a team like Ajax, you don't really say no at this point, especially considering how well they did in the Champions League. And Richard Ledesma, who is another really, I mean, I don't mean to keep saying this because they're American, but these players are really high prospects within the national team, who's more of an attacking center mid, very creative center mid, who when he's on the ball, he just seems like he knows what he wants to do every single time. And he's going to do something that's going to tear apart the opposition's defensive lines and just play his forwards in on goal, or he's going to do something where he opens up space for himself to have a shot. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see how Serginho Dest and Alex Mendes progress in CIX first team. And if Chris Gloucester and Richard Ledesma can do the same thing with PSV. So we're going to move on and discuss more about uh, some of the games that have taken place over the past week or so with Liga and the Eredivisie, Primera Liga, all kicking off last week, the same as the Premier League. 
uh, and come back to some more breakout potential players in a little while. But one of the games that really struck me over the weekend just passed was uh, Benfica against Pacos de Ferreira, uh, which was Benfica's second 5-0 win in a row after beating uh, Sporting Club de Portugal 5-0 in the Supertaca. Nuno Tavares made his league debut in that 5-0 win, the second one, and registered two assists and scored a beautiful, beautiful goal um, from, from outside the box. Justin, you're, you're, you're more on your Portuguese football than, than I am. You've probably watched more than I have. But do you think, especially with FC Porto going out of the uh, Champions League in the qualifying stage, do you think that this could just be another season of Benfica's dominance with more young players coming through? As much as it pains me to say it, uh, it definitely is. I think with Benfica, they have a really solid core, but with Sporting and with Porto, they're both in this weird situation where they're kind of rebuilding, where they kind of have players who can get the job done, but it's just not happening at the moment. Porto's starting to kind of follow Benfica's mold with the young players. Um, Romario Barro is one who's kind of coming into the fold, not necessarily the best youth product we have, in my opinion, but it's something to start. And 16-year-old, I think his name's Fabio Silva, if I'm correct, who was given the number nine shirt, which I thought was crazy. You usually associate those type of numbers with first-team players and starters. But he definitely is one of the players within Porto's youth system that I think will start having a few teams kind of uh, looking around at what he can provide for them. But as far as Benfica goes, I mean, they just have this incredible class of players coming through. Obviously, João Felix just left, but he's a part. He he is a part of this class that's coming through. Florentino Luis is another. Jetson Fernandes, Nuno Tavares, and João Felipe all kind of making their way into the first team. And it's just from a Portuguese national team standpoint, it's it's great to see because I think you can kind of feel that the national team's future is in safe hands if these players can kind of bleed through and and start to develop how they should. Just another another one of those players that you didn't mention there, but the, the centre-back duo of Ferro and Ruben Diaz, I mean, they both continue to be brilliant central defenders in, in that Benfica team, both having really come through in the past year or so to become one of the first names on the team sheet. I mean, Ruben Diaz, he, I mean, he continues to be an excellent ball player. Uh, in those first two games of the season, he's made 111 out of 118 passes. He's made 13 of his 17 long balls. And I mean, yes, okay, Paco de Ferreira is maybe a bit of a, a, a much lesser team than Benfica, but against Sporting, that is it's still quite impressive to be posting good numbers against, you know, your title rivals every season. So it's plenty to be encouraged by with, with Benfica and, and that class that you see have been coming through. You mentioned Joe Philippe, who's also known as Jota. Steve, you, you've you written about Jota a few times, haven't you? Yeah, so we've got we've got Joe Philippe in this handbook coming up. Also, we've got Jetson coming up in in uh, Volume 3 and we've, we've profiled previously uh, Joao Felix in the second volume and Ruben Diaz as well in the second. So I'll just, I'll just slide that in there. Yeah. Jota has been a player that, uh, scouted have, have followed for a long time coming through under 19 euros under 20 world cup this year he played. Uh, now he's just starting to break into the first team and, and he'll be an interesting player to watch to see how he, he progresses this season coming in. He's generally been a wide player whenever I've watched him, but there is 
rumblings that he could come in and play that kind of second striker role that uh, Joao Felix played and, and, and took off in last season and dominated in last season. Um, so he'll definitely be one to watch. A fantastic kind of a player that works really well in the tra- attacking transition. Fantastic shot on him. Uh, he's got this like short backlift, kind of like Paolo Dybala, how he shoots. Uh, short backlift, but really powerful and a dribbling machine. So he'll be he'll be one to definitely keep an eye on. Yeah, he's definitely an, another one who's, who's very exciting to watch and one of those typical flair players that are very entertaining uh, I remember seeing, you know, we all saw him at the under-19 Euros uh, last uh, last summer in which Portugal won. They, they won the final against Italy 4-3. And it was, it really was the, the, the Jota show, uh, him and Francisco Trincao, because they, from, from either flank, they created so much. As you say, they were excellent players in, in, in attacking transitions because obviously they've got great dribbling ability, great speed. And I think... If it hadn't been for Joao Felix's Joao Felix blowing up in the way that he did, I think Jota might have had a, a bigger role to play last season. So it's good to see that he he might have that opportunity this time around. He's just shown that he can score quite routinely playing on the wing. So I don't see any problem in that sense coming into a second striker role, whether or not he'll be able to score goals. He, he's had no problem doing that from a wide position at that under 19 Euros he scored five goals I think in five or six games and put on an extra three or four assists as well so that w- that won't be a problem I mean with with Benfica's team and with him coming in as like that secondary striker I don't think it's gonna be a lot harder but it's definitely gonna be difficult for him to replace somebody like Rafa Silva or Pizzi and the signing of Raul de Thomas also makes it a little it was kind of a weird signing in my opinion um, if you're going to allow Jota to kind of progress into the first team because you see that like players like Tavares and Luis Diaz and Ferreira are all starting more or less whereas Jota is only really seeing time off the bench and not I don't think he's really been given the opportunity to impress uh, in a starting role so hopefully something like Juan Felix's situation where that was the case for the first half of the year and then come the new year, thrown into the first team and just excels, would hopefully be his best case scenario for this season. Moving on, um, one point that I wanted to raise with, with the both of you was um, was Norwich, who obviously are back in the Premier League after three three or four seasons away. They, they came in for a little bit of criticism uh, after their 4-1 defeat against Liverpool. People perhaps saying they were a little bit naive. I'm not of that opinion. I don't think they were overly naive. I think they stayed true to, to to their style of play that, that got them promoted, essentially. I think they're going to be one of the more exciting teams in the Premier League this season. Very fluid in the attacking transitions and in the final third. And also quite industrious as well, led in that way by uh, Emi Buendia, who, interestingly enough, was the only player in the Championship last season to make three tackles, register two key passes and take two shots per 90, which is considerable output for one game, never mind throughout an entire season. They, I think, could offer a lot to the Premier League, but also cause teams a lot of problems just because of the team unit that they are. In terms of that game against Liverpool, and if you'd previously watched them last season, was there any individual performances against Liverpool that that might have stood out to either of you? Yeah, I mean, Max Ahrens was definitely one of them. I think he had a good bit of fearlessness in him in the way that he got forward. And even if he made mistakes getting forward... And lost possession. He was always working his way back. And same thing with Jamal Lewis. I think just both of those fullbacks are really exciting. I think they 
complement the offensive style that they want to play with this year or have been playing with. And, you know, against a side like Liverpool, I don't think a newly promoted team should feel hard done losing in the fashion that they did. Um, because like you said, they stuck to their their blueprint, their mold. And you saw a lot of good signs from young players like Lewis and Aarons and Buendia. Yeah, you, you mentioned Max Aarons made three tackles, all, all three successful, uh, and he made three out of five dribbles. So that kind of shows the... Similar in a sense to how Aaron Wan-Bissaka started last season where he was posting very good numbers in tackling uh, and also get, trying to get forward with the dribbling as well. I'm not saying for a second that he'll replicate Wan-Bissaka's season, but I'm saying that he's he's an encouraging player who won the EFL's Young Player of the Year award last year and alongside that quite young defence with Ben Godfrey and Jamal Lewis as well. They're definitely ones to watch and it's, it should be quite interesting, especially considering that Norwich renewed... Um, 13 contracts over over the summer, including Aaron's, including Buendia and including Godfrey, which is definitely, as, as we've been saying, them sticking to, to the principle of their blueprint of we're going to get promoted with this team. We're going to stick to that. We are going to make sure that we play football the way that we know we can play well, even in the face of adversity in the form of better opposition. Yeah, I was just going to say, it's going to be really interesting just comparing how Norwich do this season to how Aston Villa do this season. They've gone with completely different approaches, although Aston Villa kind of were forced to because I think they had like 15 players on their, on their their in their squad coming into the season. Uh, but but Norwich have, have kept things pretty similar. They've added Dermich and, and Patrick Roberts on loan, but but are mostly going to stick with, with what they know, which, which can be good. It's good continuity. Uh, they've got a great manager who's got praise from a lot of, a lot of quarters, especially from Jurgen Klopp. So they're going to be a really interesting one to follow. Just on a separate point uh, here, uh, having spoken about Max Ahrens, he is in volume two of the Scouted Football Handbook 2019, which again is another fantastic profile. But yeah, with volume three coming out, is it, it's being released, uh, the digital version is being released on Monday the 19th of August, I believe, Steve, yeah? That's right. That's right, yeah. £10 for the hard copy in print and £3 for the digital copy. And we're able to offer... Uh, free shipping for all UK orders and massively reduced rates uh, on European and worldwide orders. Anyway, Justin, you uh, had a point before we came on air about Brian Rodriguez, who has just moved to LAFC, who a lot of people might not have have heard of. Well, we know him a lot from the Under-20 World Cup and from the Under-20 South American Championship. He joined LAFC from the same team that Diego Rossi left, uh, Peñarol, which is uh, very interesting. Um, they actually have an agreement with with Peñarol, similar to the one that Bayern and FC Dallas have in terms of coaching sessions and then players uh, from the youth teams going over between their academies to practice and learn from one another, which I think is really good and really interesting, especially with all the South Americans transitioning to MLS is sort of like their springboard into Europe. And Brian Rodriguez just joins uh, a good core of South American players at LAFC in Diego Rossi in Edward Atuesta, and then in Carlos Vela, who's not South American, he's Mexican, but along those same lines. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually really interested to see how he fits in because I, I genuinely believe he'll be a straight Diego Rossi replacement, seeing as how he's been linked with Fiorentina or a potential move to Europe in general. Yeah, just watching Brian Rodriguez at the Under-20 World Cup for Uruguay, um, operated more as a right winger, um, you know, liked to stretch the play with quite aggressive positioning and his movement was quite good. 
off the top of my head, I remember him being quite a good dribbler uh, and being able to create, trying to make those incisive passes from the half space into the box. Obviously not always successful. Just really explosive. Yeah, yeah, explosive, bit of a live wire. I mean, I think that that's definitely something to look out for. And, and as as with the theme of this of this podcast, could potentially be uh, a breakout player in, in, in MLS this season. And LAFC are just a really good team. Uh, they're top of the Western Conference, if I'm correct, Justin, and and uh, ready yeah, for playoffs. Yeah, top of the Western Conference, top of MLS in general. So, very good team. But yeah, uh, Brian Rodriguez kind of just continues this this movement of South Americans into into MLS, and he's not the first one. Christian McCoon, who played for Venezuela's under twenty team, the under twenty South American Championship signed for Inter-Miami, who are joining MLS uh, next year, along with Matias Pellegrini and Julian Carranza, who I'm less familiar with as players, but those three are all teenagers, all South American, and are the first three signings in Inter-Miami's history. So I think it's kind of cool to see this club kind of sign these young players first, and I think what they're, hopefully, I think what they're planning to do is building around them and having this core of of South Americans who provide flair and technical ability and just come into the league kind of like how Atlanta United and LAFC did guns firing and challenging for that first place spot from the jump, not, all right, we're going to try and qualify for playoffs. It's no, we want to win the entire thing, regardless of whether it's our first year or our 20th year in the season, uh, in the league. Sorry. And, and Atlanta did it with Almiron and, and Martinez and LAFC are doing it with, with Rossi and Vela and, and now, my into Miami are going for Macoon and Pellegrini and Macoon has actually been at, at Juventus for the last last season. But it's interesting, yeah, these these expansion teams coming in and, and going straight to that that system or that identity. And it's worked for Atlanta United and it seems to be working now for LAFC. So it'll be interesting to see how Beckham's new team goes. And with with Atlanta, you know, they brought in Tato Martino as their first head coach, who's a fantastic first coach to have. And then other coaches like Matias Almeida, who have that ability to relate to and communicate with players from South America and lure them into a league like MLS and to convince them that, you know, this league is exactly what you need to have a platform for other European, for, you know, for European teams to see you, to recognize that you're talented and then to invest in you, which is good for all parties, for the franchises, for the league, for the players. And I'm kind of curious as to whether Inter-Miami follow that blueprint in the sense that they hire a South American coach or a Mexican coach or someone with that background. Because uh, as it's shown for Atlanta, as it's starting to show for San Jose Earthquakes with Almeida and how it's just been kind of positive in the league in general, um, I kind of hope they do do that. All right. Okay. Well, that just about wraps it up for the first episode of the Scouted Football Podcast. Thanks to Steve and to Justin for joining me on this one. We'll be back very soon in the next week or so uh, with a second podcast. It's going to be a regular feature of uh, the Scouted Football brand. Steve, do you have anything, any final words to say about Volume 3, about the newest release, or anything around that? Yes, please buy it, everyone. Uh, we put a lot of work into it we're we're really happy with it and so yeah just just give it a go hopefully yeah it is fantastic having read every word of it it is brilliant thanks to some brilliant contributors brilliant artists and designers and of course the brilliant editorial team yep thank you for listening uh thank you for tuning in hope we haven't bored you too much with under 23 football we'll be back soon thank you goodbye
Thank you for listening to the Scouted Football Podcast. For more under-23 football, follow us on Twitter at ScoutedFTBL. You can buy the third volume of the Scouted Football Handbook 2019 in print and in digital format at www.scouted.com.